we're excited because Fliss and I are going on sabbatical this summer from June through till September, three months away. And, um, you know, we can do that uh, because we've got such a great team here, not just a staff team, and we've got a great staff team, I think there's 12 members of staff, but also because we've got great leaders like Paul and Sally who are lay pastors, lay leaders, be they the children's ministry, be they the refreshments ministry, be they the welcome ministry, the car parking ministry. You know, whatever it is, we've got great people in key positions, and we can do that, and we will not lose sleep, I promise you. But it's been nearly 23 years without a full-blown sabbatical, and so we're ready for a break, and I'm excited about that. But now we've got kind of Christmas, uh, Christmas and Easter, Easter out the way, I'm thinking I've got like three or four weeks before I go on sabbatical. What do I want to preach on? And, 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 and when I was asking the Lord that question, I, I very quickly came to the, the conclusion that I wanted to preach about prayer. Uh, it's something that in the church you have to do regularly. And I looked at my notes and I know, I know for a fact that we've spoken about prayer and we've, we've uh, had Dennis do some teachings and some stuff uh, out there in essentials. But the last time we did a major series on prayer, according to my notes, is 2006 and that's way too long, way too long. And so, over these next three or four weeks, we're going to look at basically the Jesus prayers, because there's more than one, and uh, today I'm going to start with, with one that should be familiar to most, if not all of us, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to sharing these thoughts with you. Let's just pray then. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you to you for the gift of prayer. It has been said that if we, want to, if we want to do what Father God is doing at this moment, we'll then look to the life of Jesus and look to the life of the Holy Spirit. And we will find that in the book of Romans in the Bible that we hear that the, the Holy Spirit is praying even now and that, Jesus, you are praying even now. So if we want to do God's work, let's pray. So we come to you now, just as the disciples came to you, and say, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And everyone said, Amen. I noticed in Sally's little part of her presentation, she said that one of the things that you get to do in life groups is that you, you learn to pray. And I have to say that when I first became a Christian, I, I, I wanted to pray. It felt like I, it was something I needed to do, but I honestly didn't know how to. So I would try and devise religious prayers and things that sounded good or sounded right, and when I prayed them, they just, I despised them because they seemed silly, or, and I just didn't know, and it wasn't until I got into life group, when I heard mature Christians praying, not just for me, but for other things as well, that I began to relax a little bit and realize that prayer is like breathing. It actually, it's, it's essential. It can be hard work if you're running up a hill or doing a marathon, but it's something that comes naturally too. It's all of those things, and sometimes we hold them in tension. And uh, you know, as always, as often I should say, uh, I came across a lovely little meditation on prayer, and we're just gonna run that now as we kind of move into this teaching. So thanks, James. I was reading uh, just recently about someone who was part of a Billy Graham mission in Sacramento. Sacramento, as some of you Clever people will know is the capital of, uh, of California, not Los Angeles, surprisingly enough, but Sacramento. And Billy Graham, bless his heart, 
that great evangelist who was so much a feature of the 50s, 60s, and into the 70s. And he used to do these huge, great crusades in football stadiums. And they were doing this crusade at the Arco Stadium, a great big sort of American football stadium. And the night before the mission was due to begin, the choir rehearsal took place. And one of the features of the, the Billy Graham missions is great big choirs, thousand member choirs. And they draw from all the local churches and they all come together to, to sort of do choir together. And the rehearsal went on very late and overran considerably. And finally, when the, the, the author of this little piece I was reading got to leave, it was close on midnight. And he's driving home, streets are deserted, going through the center of town. And he happens to look up at the town hall, at the city, Civic Hall as he's going past, and he sees somebody, you know, a homeless person huddled up on the steps, all, in a, all wrapped up against the cold, and, and uh, drives on a bit, but you know, it's sort of, I've had this kind of thing, like, your, I don't know, your conscience gets to you, and you're, oh my goodness, here I am thinking about, singing about Jesus, and God's kingdom come, and there's this person out there in the cold, and so he turned the car around, and he went back, and parked up, and approached the civic hall, walked up the steps, and this person was almost like in a cocoon like this, you know, bitterly cold, and didn't seem to acknowledge the, the guy coming up to him, so he bent down and he tapped him on the shoulder, almost wondering whether he was okay, you know, was he dead or something, frozen to death, and he shook him on the shoulder, he said, are you all right, friend, can I help at all? And the person looked up at him with a start, and it was Billy Graham. And he said, thank you, thank you, no, I'm, I'm just praying for the city. I'm praying for the city. Now here was a guy, this man, Billy Graham, who had this huge, great, big evangelistic machine, a well-oiled machine. I had the privilege of, of spending a week with him and his team when they did a tour in England. And it humble men, great men, great men and women, very humble, very organized, very focused, really took care of the details. Nothing was left to chance. They, they tried to think of everything, everything. But when all was said and done, Billy Graham knew that unless God moved, it was a waste of time. It doesn't matter how good we get here with our various ministries and how clever we are and what we try and anticipate, but unless God moves, it's a waste of time. Absolutely a waste of time. And, and for these last 23, 24 years, every week I've been praying for revival. In fact, this summer, part of the, speak, the preaching arrangements is that I've got some of my friends to come in from other churches, and I'm just asking them to preach on revival, what that means to them. It may mean, mean nothing to them. It may mean nothing to you, but we've got David Payne, we've got Tony Peters, we've got Ant Rist, we've got one or two others coming in, and, uh, as well as our home team. And uh, we're going to be looking at revival because I, I have a sense in my spirit that finally after 23, 24 years of praying for revival, we're going to see revival. And as I have found myself praying from those difficult early days when I didn't know how to pray and when I prayed it just seemed to come out wrong and I didn't think it was very good and all the rest of it, I have now found, letting a little, a little sight into my own secret life, I find I cannot live without prayer. It may sound strange to you. Some of you know what I'm talking about, but I will pray on any given day of anything up to an hour and beyond while the family's still asleep. 
It's not that I'm a great intercessor or a great prayer warrior or any of these kind of fancy highfalutin things. I just cannot get by with anything less than that. And Fliss will tell you that I do it when we're on holiday, I do it on days off, high feasts and holidays. I, 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 cannot, I cannot seem to function without spending time in prayer. C.S. Lewis, he said something, and I agree entirely with him. It's not that God needs our prayers, it's that we need our prayers. We need to pray, we need to focus, we need to come into the presence of God. And so here you, you, you know me, I mean, you know my story and my life, most of you, and you know, I'm no saint, they're not gonna put a stained glass window in St. Paul's for me. But here I am, just a regular guy, with some 30 years and more now of walking with Jesus, and I find I cannot but pray. Something, I, I feel uneasy, it's, I don't know how to describe the kind of disconcerted feeling I feel if, I'm not, if I don't spend time in prayer. It's a little bit like those of you who have teenage kids, you'll remember how when your kids say to you they could be back by 11, and you think, yeah, yeah, that means 12 o'clock. But then 12 o'clock comes and goes, and then one o'clock comes and goes, and you're beginning to imagine all sorts of terrible things, and your stomach begins, you feel a sense of, Unease, and finally, of course, the latch goes and the rows start because they're home in one piece. You know, any parent of teenage children will know this story, but that sense of kind of wriggly awkwardness is what I find myself in unless I spend time with God at the beginning of the day. I, I don't know how this happened. It was unplanned for in my mind. It's just ended up like that. And so for me, that, that warp and weft of prayer is, is something that is intensely personal, not something I spend a lot of time talking to others about, but it is something that, that those who are in the know in this place will tell you is absolutely critical to whatever success and effectiveness that we have had in the, as a ministry. It's not that we just got the right color scheme or the right worship team or the right whatever. All of that is important but it's that there are people are praying. I see a good friend of mine at the back there, Keith Griffin, sat on the back row there with Sue, his wife Sue. Keith and I used to pray at 7.30 every Friday morning, didn't we, Keith? For years, for this church, for years. I had two great bodyguards. Some of you, you know, bodyguards sound like great big beefy uh, guys with sort of glasses and bald heads. My bodyguards were two little old ladies. Betty Ward and Sally Bullock, for years they prayed for me. And they may, looked of, they may have looked absolutely inconsequential physically, but I, the Lord told me once, made me laugh out loud, that Betty Ward scared the living daylights out of the devil. <laughs> Honestly, he said that to me. Betty Ward scares the living daylights out of the devil. And she was this little old lady. She's gone to be with glory. Both of them are with the Lord now. So let's have a little look at this. And, and what I, I, I want to give you some teaching, and, and, and Dennis and I, and, and Rich is going to do some teaching too. We want to give you some teaching, a few of the how-tos and the kind of areas, the ballpark we should be playing in. But as much as anything, I want you to catch something of, of the passion that I have for prayer. The passion I have, the, 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 the essential nature of prayer. So let's begin in a good place. Let's begin in the scriptures. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. And uh, well, let's just read that now. Thank you. I think there should be a screen with it. 
Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, rather, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine has come on a journey and I've got nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me now. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, somewhat ambitiously, and I must say naively, I intended to teach the whole of this passage today, but this is crazy. And I was out for lunch with Dennis during the week, and in the end, I just suddenly, I had a wake-up call. I thought, I was just never going to do this. So I'm going to do the Lord's Prayer bit today, and then Dennis will carry it on next week, but there's some some great insights to have on this. So let's just look at the Lord's Prayer. I've got a number of thoughts here, beginning with P, which is very convenient. And the first one is presence. We begin the Lord's Prayer. Actually, we begin the Lord's Prayer with the disciples saying, teach us to pray. And I usually make this point when I'm teaching this passage, and in between on other occasions. You know, the the disciples were good Jewish boys. They knew how to pray. They'd grown up knowing how to pray. They had done synagogue and temples since they were knee-high to a grasshopper and younger. They knew what it was to pray. But they saw something in Jesus that was different. There was a quality about the rabbi Jesus which caused them to wonder and reflect upon their own walk with the Lord, their, their own prayer life. And it got to the point where they could resist it no more. They, they came to Jesus And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I believe at that moment that Jesus went, yes. I believe at that moment the Father went, they did it. And the angels went, yeah. Because they knew at that moment, he knew at that moment that they were ready. They were ready to learn. There was the hunger there. There was the passion. There was the recognition that they needed more than was already existing in their prayer life. So that was a great place to start. I can't believe that Jesus forgot to teach them how to pray. He was waiting for them to ask how to pray because then they were in the place to learn. So he begins with this well-known prayer, Father. And the first word is presence. Presence because, can we change the screen to presence? Thank you. Because with presence, what happens there is that we, in, we, we consider and we take care in getting ready to pray. Now, those of you who have done the five-step healing model, which Linda and her team teach, and we've been teaching that for many years too, 
will know that we begin our prayer ministry with the little phrase, come Holy Spirit. And all that is, it's an invoking the presence of God. It's not just a recitation of religious spells, mantras, magic incantations. It's not that. Prayer is all about being in relationship with someone. You know, if I uh, am working at home and I, I, I look over my shoulder and I say, oh, by the way, Fliss, I'm sorry, but I forgot to get the bread and the milk that you wanted me to get when I was out uh, you know, getting petrol for the car. Now, that's, that's you know, a sensible piece of information. I may get in trouble, but it's a sensible piece of information to give if Fliss has stood there, if I'm in her presence. But what's the point of me saying that if she's having her hair done and I'm down in the shed? I mean, it's ridiculous. But so much prayer is like that. We don't even wait. We don't even show God the courtesy of, of coming into his presence or inviting him to come into our presence. We just sort of rattle off this thing, make, hoping it make us feel better. That's not the deal, folks. We begin by saying, Father, come Holy Spirit. We position, we, we, we look towards, we engage. So that's the first principle. Don't just nervously rattle off some sort of, some, some kind of set format of prayer. It's all about presence. It's all about relationship. Secondly, praise. We are dealing with the living God here. Who is this God we, we worship? One of the things over the last 10 or 15 years, and it's been, it's totally God. It's been something that he has done in order to, to reassure us, as it says in the book of Hebrews, that we should have confidence coming into his presence. I remember David Payne when he was here preaching a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago even. He was talking about having confidence coming into the presence of God. And we can do that because Jesus Christ has dealt with the sin in our life. And so all of that, all of that confidence has been used by the Holy Spirit to convince us that, that we're okay that we are his sons, his daughters, and that he is our father, and that Jesus is our elder brother, and, and, and that he is our best friend, and all of this is true, and it needed to be said, it needed to be taught. Because 30 years ago, when I started my Christian walk, it was all about, you know, God is an awesome God on a cloud a million miles away, and I hope he doesn't burn us to a crisp kind of thing. It was a corrective of the Holy Spirit to, 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 to break down these walls of formality so that we would realize that God is dealing with family. But if anything, as with most correctives, it has gone the other way now. We're all too chummy. I'm sometimes a little shocked, it has to be said, by the way Christians talk about their God. It's as if he's some lovely doting you know, aunt or uncle in a, in a nursing home. You go and visit occasionally and buy him a box of ginger chocolates or something and pat him on the back and have a little bit of a laugh. And then after about 10 minutes, when as soon as you think you can, you kind of say, oh gosh, is that time? Oh, I must go now. It's like visiting an elderly relative. And there's no respect there. There's no awe there. There's no sense of the eternal or the otherly or the awesome presence of God. So when one prays, having invoked the presence of God, remember who you're dealing with. Yes, come with gratitude and thanksgiving for the relationship that he offers us in Christ, but remember, 
Hallowed be your name. You are a holy God. You are the holy God, the one and only. The third thing is purpose. Your kingdom come. Your will be done as we commonly pray. So you may have an urgent need to get into the Father's presence to pray for some personal matter, good things, important things. It says in the scriptures that we should bring all our anxieties to God because he cares for us. You may be praying fervently, just as, as Paul and Sally were, and so many were, for, that their kids would get into the, the local school of their choice. And you may, you may have an urgent need to, to get, what little t- you know, get into God's presence and pray that through. And, and you know, life is full of stuff, and I'm no different, and I bring that, my concerns. We've got a daughter who is going to be having a baby and in three or four weeks' time by C-section. Boy, we're praying. We're praying. And that's right. That's fine. But before we tumble into that, we've got our shopping list in our Santa's wish list. Let's just, let's just orientate ourselves here. Let's consider the purposes of God. What are we on this earth for? Who is he and what's he about? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Let's get the priorities right. Let's God's kingdom come among us. Let him pour out his spirit. Let him revive the nation and the nations. Let the renown of Jesus be made known. May his reputation be enhanced by our our ministry. May we be effective in all the witness and the work we do in his name. Pray for his kingdom come because this is redemptive. This is life-changing. This is eternal stuff. The need for a parking space or that my dentist doesn't nearly kill me next time I go are important but of transient nature. The purposes of God. The fourth thing, provision. So we've invoked the presence of God. We've praised him as he is. We've considered the purpose of uh, uh, his work on this earth. And the third thing is provision. Give us today our daily bread. And and as the Greek scholars, and I'm not a Greek scholar. I did do Greek when I was at seminary, but I'm not a scholar. and will not even pretend to be one. But the scholars will tell you that there is a future sense in that. It's not just give us today's bread. It's give us bread for the future. Give us a sense of security. And the confidence that we will get fed not just today, but tomorrow as well. So that we can actually get on with the the third thing, the purposes of God. Give us today our daily bread and whatever that means for you. Oh Lord, when I take my car for its MOT, may it not cost a fortune to get fixed this time. Whatever the daily bread is for you, bring it to God. He does not despise our prayers. The fifth one breaks with the P, the preacher's alliteration, but it does have a P in it. All right? Repentance. Repentance. Repentance is not just saying sorry. It's not just feeling bad. It's not just feeling regret. One of my other grandkids, Reuben, He's just gone too, and he has learned that when he's naughty, if he puts on a great big smiley face and sort of wriggles and says, sorry, mama, sorry, mama, it melts my daughter's heart. And she has difficulty being cross, much less disciplining him, when he's going, sorry, mama, sorry, mama. And we're like that with God. But my daughter sees right through this device. She just knows that he's learned that if he says sorry and, 
acts like he's feeling bad about something, he'll just carry on doing the same thing. He's taken to helping himself to the fridge. So he'll say, sorry, mama, sorry, mama, and she'll say, okay, then do it again. Eight minutes later, she can hear the chair being dragged across the kitchen floor <laughs> in front of the fridge, and she says, Reuben, what are you doing? I'm going to get the fridge again. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. Sorry, mama, sorry, mama, sorry. I mean, we're like that. We say sorry, but we carry on sinning. It will not do. Do you think God is fooled? See, repentance is about turning away. Again, the Greek scholars would tell you that there is this sense in repentance about an archer missing the mark. We're aiming for something, God's holiness, but we miss the mark. Repentance is about missing the mark. So we don't just say sorry and miss the mark again. We say sorry and aim to hit the mark. We do whatever we have to do in our life to enable us to hit the mark. That's the first aspect of repentance. It's not just saying sorry, like some cheesy Hollywood movie. It's about living our lives in a way where we're not sinning from this day forth. Yes, we fail. But it's the heart and it's the intent. That's where the forgiveness is. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. You know, for as much as we hold grudges against others, we are not forgiven. We, w we will not know God's forgiveness and cleansing from sin if we're holding grudges against others. You know, every single Christian of some years knows this. They'll teach it better than I can, to be honest. But as a pastor, I am staggered how people, how Christians seem to think that their little life, their, their little disappointment, their little, the issue in their life is the, somehow the exception to the rule. Yes, we need to ask God's forgiveness. Yes, we need to repent. I've heard that missing the mark thing before. John Stott did that, didn't he, Chris? I know where you got that from. <laughs> yes, it's all about turning away and all that kind of thing. And yes, we must forgive. And if we don't forgive, well, then our sins are not forgiven. But you don't realize what my neighbor did to me. And they think they're the exception to the rule. Forget it. There are no exceptions. Jesus hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. These are the guys that nailed the Son of God, the Christ himself, to the cross. And if anyone deserved to be burnt to a crisp, it was them. But he said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And then finally, as far as I can get today with this, it's protection. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. It doesn't say that in the Luke version, but it says, lead us not into temptation. Lord God, you know, protect us and keep us. Re you know, temptation will come. Every, we are all subject to temptation. It says that Christ himself was subject to temptation, but did not fall into sin. A wise man has said that, you know, we can't stop birds flying around our head. Temptations, birds will come, but we can stop them making a nest in our hair. There is a difference. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. We are in a war zone. 
The old world, the, the world of Satan, the old world is cracking and groaning and falling apart. It's hand-to-hand -hand fighting, it's intense, it's bloody, it's difficult. There are casualties. Pray, pray that you're not one of them. That in a spiritual sense, in terms of your et eternal soul, not these present pleasures or otherwise, but in terms of your eternal soul, pray that you are not one of the casualties. So Jesus gives us this wonderful gift of prayer. It's, it's what, 34 words or something I didn't count. But it covers these areas, presence, praise, purpose, provision, repentance, protection. If we can build that into uh, our daily life and our daily prayer ministry, and that's certainly what I've built my life around, things begin to flow out of that. And all that Dennis is going to speak on next week will, should be seen through the lens of this kingdom prayer we call the Lord's Prayer. I, I hope you found this helpful. I hope you've been reminded of some things you already know, but I, I pray, I truly pray that this preaching will be effective and will fan into flame in you a passion for prayer. Let's have the worship team up and I'll just say a prayer. Let's stand, shall we? Father God, we thank you for the prayers of Jesus and we ask that you would teach us to pray. What does that look like in the 21st century? Oh Lord God, may we learn from our spiritual forebears, may we encourage one another through the ministry of life groups and, and the rest, and may all that we say and do in your name be effective. Lord, may your kingdom come and may your will be done. And everyone said, Amen.